0: This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfitplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'm Todd McComas, and it's Thursday, the day of the week originally named after Thor, the God of Thunder. So with that in mind... Here's my idea for the next Marvel movie. How about a flashback sequence where Thor finds out his fame has dwindled to the point humankind changed Thor's day to Thursday? And he gets so sad, he develops some addiction issues and ends up pawning his hammer to score crack. Everyone loves a good comeback story, so you're welcome, Marvel Universe. Now let's move on to today's crime news with someone who would never trade her hammer for crack, Laura Benson.
0: A super chef with too much on his plate, debates on death row, jelly roll heads to the Senate, a trial Connecticut style, and don't touch that bird. All this and more coming up on This Day in Crime. I'm Laura Benson, and today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024. Food Network star Darnell Superchef Ferguson is in some hot water this week after facing charges from breaking into the home of and attacking a woman he shares three children with. Ferguson is a celebrity chef, restaurateur, and entrepreneur who currently hosts Superchef Grudge Match. Talk about a grudge. He's hosted and appeared as a judge on an impressive number of food-related shows across networks. He can now add seven criminal charges to his long list of accolades. Ferguson was arrested on Tuesday and charged on Wednesday with second-degree burglary, first-degree strangulation, fourth-degree domestic violence with minor injury, third-degree terroristic threatening, menacing, third-degree criminal mischief, and theft. On January 2nd, reports state that Ferguson broke into the woman's home in the suburbs of Louisville, Kentucky, punched the walls, began yelling and strangling her, and threatening to kill her. How lovely. In court, Ferguson's attorney said Ferguson and the woman have had three children together, and they were exchanging children when another person was found inside the home. That's when the dispute happened. The victim told police that she lost consciousness when he was strangling her and awoke to Ferguson telling her that, quote, she was his and no one else's. Hold up real quick. First of all, he sucks. Secondly, I'm still a little confused about this, and I had a really hard time figuring out exactly what's going on with all of these kids. So in my research on most news outlets, including articles dating back a year or so, they state that Ferguson has eight children with his wife, Tatata. And in reporting the event so far, the mother of these three children has remained anonymous, but I don't know if that means that he actually has 11 children total or if these three kids are part of the eight and up till now, all of the news outlets have just been saying that all eight of his children are with his wife. I honestly, I don't know. I looked around for a really long time to sort this out and I genuinely could not figure it out. Please comment on the show if you have answers, because I do not. I stooped to a really deep level of tabloid, and I still found nothing. Regardless, I'm pretty sure that the woman that filed these charges is not his wife, which means that he doesn't have any right to tell her that she belongs to him and no one else. Ferguson pleaded not guilty, and he's currently out on bail. The victim has also expressed that she is interested in potentially dropping the charges, believing that they can work it out on their own, but... I wouldn't hold my breath on this one. And clearly, she shouldn't either. Michelle Traconi's trial began this morning in the Superior Court of Stamford, Connecticut. Traconi is suspected of aiding the cover-up of the 2019 murder of Jennifer Dulos, a Connecticut mother of five who went missing one afternoon from her home and is believed to have been murdered by her then-husband, Fotis Dulos. The two were in the process of getting a divorce at the time, and Turconis, who is dating Doulos, is facing criminal charges, including conspiracy to commit murder, evidence tampering, and hindering prosecution. Connecticut State Police believe that on May 24, 2019, Futis Doulos drove an employee's truck to New Canaan, where Jennifer lived, rode a bicycle to Jennifer's house, and attacked her in the garage when she got back from dropping her children off at school. He then put her in her SUV and drove off. The SUV was found abandoned at a park, and though the park was searched, Jennifer's body was never found. Police have reported finding a bloody scene in Jennifer's garage and evidence of an attempted cleanup. That evening, Fatise Dulos and Traconis were recorded on city video cameras in Hartford, Connecticut, stopping at several locations, with Dulos getting out of his pickup truck and disposing of garbage bags as Traconis sat in the cab. A few of the bags were recovered by the cops days later, fortunately no one took out the trash, after tracking down Delosa's cell phone location information and connecting it to city video footage. In the bags, investigators say they found clothing, zip ties, and other items containing Jennifer Delosa's DNA. Oh, plus her cell phone. Some of the items had blood on them, and some had Fotis Delosa's DNA on them as well. Draconis maintains that she did not know that her then-boyfriend, Fatisse Dulos was doing anything questionable as she watched him toss garbage bags into random bins all across town. Or as they wrote a detailed hour-by-hour catalog of their actions that day. Uh Uh-huh. Nothing fishy at all. Since this trial is happening live right now, I don't have anything else to say about it, but hopefully Todd will have some great updates for you tomorrow. On to some news from the world of sports. Former Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Julio Urias won't be charged with a felony after his arrest in September on suspicion of domestic violence. Well, he may still be charged with a misdemeanor, but at least for him, a felony is ruled out. Urias was placed on administrative leave back in September of 2023 indefinitely by Major League Baseball after his arrest outside BMO Stadium in South LA, where he attended a Major League soccer game. The leave came after police were notified by a citizen at the game who reported a man, Arias, and a woman, his wife, in a physical altercation. The leave was imposed under baseball's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy with the players association and can be the first step toward a player's suspension. Players are paid during this time, but they cannot play while they're on leave. So since September, he's probably still made about a million dollars. It's kind of hard to feel bad for the guy. Reyes was also arrested in May of 2019 on suspicion of domestic battery. He was suspended 20 games by MLB, but he wasn't prosecuted by the Los Angeles City Attorney on the condition that he completed a 52-week domestic violence counseling program. No player has ever been suspended twice under MLB's domestic violence policy, although it is looking like Reyes might be the first. It sounds like the domestic violence counseling program may not have worked too well for him.
1: Do you hate when I interrupt this part of the show? Then sign up for Tenderfoot Plus and listen ad-free. Otherwise, we'll be back after this message.
2: Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: Earlier this week, a federal judge approved the state of Alabama to conduct the nation's first execution by nitrogen gas later this month. Three states, Alabama, Mississippi and Oklahoma, have authorized nitrogen hypoxia as an execution method for inmates on death row, but no state has attempted the use thus far. The execution method for inmates involves placing a mask over the inmates mouth and nose and upping the nitrogen content while downing oxygen. There are conflicting opinions about how quickly this leads to death or really how painful it is. That's the problem with the death penalty. You just, you can't find out from people's experience. It's all conjecture. Kenneth Eugene Smith is the lucky inmate scheduled to receive the first ever death by nitrogen hypoxia execution, scheduled later for this month, January 25th. You may remember Smith's name from 2022 when he was initially scheduled for a death row execution by lethal injection. Alabama Department of Corrections staff, however, was unable to carry out the execution because they couldn't properly find his vein to administer the lethal injection. Mr. Smith was strapped to a gurney for over an hour, while the unnamed state correction staff poked and prodded him in an effort to access his veins so that toxins could be injected and he would die. Good Lord, what a nightmare. Smith's attorneys have said that Alabama is just trying to make him the, quote, test subject for an untried execution method after he survived the previous attempt to put him to death. His attorney has stated that nitrogen hypoxia is riddled with unknowns and may violate the constitutional ban on cruel and unusual punishment. And the state is expecting an appeal to come through. Oh, and by the way, never read the comments section on articles like this, unless you really want to hear about all the possible ways that you could kill an inmate. People can be really mean. On to something you might not have heard about, Two men, Travis John Branson of Washington and Simon Paul of Montana, have been charged in Montana with a combined 13 counts of unlawful trafficking of bald and golden eagles, and one count each of conspiracy and violating wildlife trafficking laws. Branson pleaded not guilty to charges on Monday, while Simon Paul failed to report to court, and a federal judge has issued an arrest warrant for the man. Here's what's absolutely crazy about this. These two men, working with others, are said to have killed about 3,600 birds on Montana's Flathead Indian Reservation and elsewhere over a six-year period beginning in 2015. 3,600 birds. That's almost two birds per day, 24-7, for six years. No vacations. The defendants are also accused of selling Eagle parts on a black market for significant sums of money. Bald eagles are the national symbol of the United States, and both bald eagles and golden eagles are widely considered sacred by Native Americans. U.S. law prohibits anyone without a permit from killing, wounding, or disturbing eagles, or taking any parts such as nests or eggs from the birds. Trafficking eagles carries a penalty of up to one year in prison for a first offense and two years in prison for each subsequent offense. Just leave the poor birds alone, guys, please. Officials at an Oregon hospital believe a former nurse was stealing fentanyl from IV pouches and replacing it with tap water. The Asante Road Regional Medical Center in Medford is currently investigating this as the cause of up to 10 patient deaths. If this is true, this would make this incident the deadliest of fentanyl theft-related deaths in medical centers across the U.S. The Rogue Valley Times, a local newspaper, reported this week that the families of two patients — 36-year-old Samuel Allison, who died in November 2022, and 74-year-old Barry Sampson, who died in July 2023 — said hospital officials notified them that the deaths were due to infections resulting from their pain medication being replaced with non-sterile tap water. The Oregon Health Authority said in a statement last Wednesday that it was aware of reports of an Asante nurse, quote, alleged to have tampered with pharmaceutical fentanyl used to treat severe pain and introducing tap water in patients' intravenous lines, and confirmed that it was investigating reports that the incidents led to healthcare-associated infections that severely injured and may have caused the deaths of several patients. This is really out of control. I'm hopefully not gonna be reporting on fentanyl-related issues every week, but I mean, who can you trust at this point? The hospital and Medford police have stated that it's too early to know for sure if this was in fact the cause of the fatalities, but they're actively working together to investigate this further. Meanwhile, today in D.C., rapper and musician Jelly Roll testified at a Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee hearing on stopping the flow of fentanyl where he called on lawmakers to get the Fend-Off Fentanyl Act across the finish line. The act passed the Senate last July, but it has yet to make it through the House. The legislation would, quote, "...combat the country's fentanyl crisis by targeting opioid traffickers, expanding funding for and enhancing U.S. government agencies so that they can more effectively disrupt illicit opioid supply chains and penalize those facilitating the trafficking of fentanyl." The act also ensures that sanctions are imposed not only on the illicit drug trade, but also on the money laundering that makes it profitable. Jelly Roll spoke about his experience hearing from fans, suffering from addiction, losses of friends and community members, and also talked about his own history as a drug dealer. He stated, quote, I think that's what makes me perfect to talk about this. I was a part of the problem. I'm here now, standing as a man that wants to be a part of the solution. I have firsthand witnessed this in a way most people have not. I encourage you all to not only pass this bill, but I encourage you to bring it up where it matters, at the kitchen table. Thank you, Jelly Roll. Thank you. I'll see you at the kitchen table, although I may not be watching much Food Network for a while. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to This Day in Crime, and tune in tomorrow to hear Todd as he wraps up the week for you in a beautiful bow.
1: This Day in Crime is a production of Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey, produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Sources for today's episode and full credits can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. We're back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.